Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Good afternoon. I'm Monica Bay. I'm the editor of Law Technology News, and this is the May edition of Law Technology Now, our podcast. And as usual, we are featuring one of the authors from our next issue, which will be out on May 1st, Tom O'Connor. And Tom is a dear friend of mine. He has been on the editorial advisory board from day one. In fact, we have what we call the Tom O'Connor rule because Tom's eclectic con- uh, career has included working for a fair amount of folks, both as a consultant and working for some vendors. So when he's working for a vendor, he's off the board. And when he's not, he's on the board. <laughs> Tom, welcome. And why don't you start by uh, uh, telling our listeners a little bit about what you're doing these days and uh, your new institute. Well, thanks, Monica. Um, I'm actually based in New Orleans uh, these days. Uh, started working uh, two years ago, right after the, uh, the storms and... Um, uh, doing some work on behalf of the law practice management section of the ABA uh, in conjunction with the Louisiana Bar um, in some immediate recovery efforts. And you, you featured that in a, in a story, as I recall, uh, from about a year and a half ago. And uh, since then, I've moved down here full-time uh, to assist in, uh, in those activities. Most of what goes on down here these days is still, unfortunately, grassroots activities. Uh, everything from uh, rebuilding neighborhoods sort of a street at a time to, uh, as we like to say on our behalf, rebuilding uh, the legal system one lawyer at a time. That's a great way to put it. And let's uh, start off the program with just a bit of housekeeping here. First of all, I want to let our listeners know that if Tom sounds a little tiny bit uh, uh, ragged on the voice, it's not Tom. It's actually the wonderful infrastructure in New Orleans, which um, makes it a little difficult to record these podcasts. So we hope you'll indulge us on that. And uh, he sounds good to me. Um, also, we want to let you know that you can get this podcast on several locations. First, from ALM's Law Technology Now website, which, surprise, surprise, is www.lawtechnologynow.com, or from our partner, Legal Talk Network, which is www.legaltalknetwork.com, and, of course, my favorite venue, because I'm a brand-new iPod owner, the iPod Podcast Library, where you can subscribe, and it can be automatically downloaded for free. So now that we've done the housekeeping, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Tom's article, Bye Bye Bates, which will be the cover story of our May issue, about how moving to a more document-focused discovery rather than page-focused can actually speed up reviews and dramatically cut costs and improve accuracy. And we're also going to talk about a event that both Tom and I will be appearing at the first week of May for the Louisiana Bar Solo and Small Firm Technology Conference. Tom was also very modest because he and I were co-authors of an article in 2006 that was honored by the Tabbies as one of the 25 best features of the year. So I uh, am so grateful to Tom for being here today. Tom, why don't you talk a little bit about this article, which really kind of um, knocked my socks off when I edited it, about um, a, um, a proposal that you and Browning Marion and some of the other folks in in the um, legal tech community are trying to push to sort of change 
how e-discovery review is done. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure, and 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 I do want to give credit to to other people. This discussion really started, I think, several months ago. At least it came on my radar with a couple of different mentions um, by Craig Ball, who who writes the who writes the, uh, the balls in your court column in, in LTN. Craig has been a proponent for quite some time about uh, not using Bates numbers, but using the hash values, the electronic number of documents for identification purposes. And the problem we have is that attorneys are very wed to the base number. And this kind of goes back to the days of paper productions when documents would be scanned or copied and individually base numbered. And that base number would then be used by the review software um, that was common at the time, programs like summation or concordance that were flat file databases. That was great when you had a relatively small number of documents, and, and by that I mean something that went up to even as much as several million. Now, of course, in the days of electronic production, we've changed the paradigm of the document. So we've gone from paper to electronic documents, and terabytes of information and hundreds of millions of pages are the uh, standard. It's, it's literally physically impossible to to, to, to encompass handling those documents one page at a time. And that's where Browning and I started talking. His perception was that despite the changes in technology, legal people were still looking at documents one page at a time. And even though there were new companies that had come in, um, Theos, I think, was one that had done this quite a bit, um, looking at documents from a more unitized point of view, not a page at a time, there was still that resistance from attorneys. And so the second thing that happened, and Browning really brought this to, to my attention, was that, and I'm sure you've seen this, Monica, we've gotten non-legal companies buying into the legal market. Last week, just for example, the announcement that HP had purchased a, a, a document management company and had entered into an agreement with um, Clearwell, I believe, uh, to work in the ED market. And Browning had talked about a, a company that his firm was um, representing. They were the outside counsel for a company called Anacomp, which did document retention and was buying into the market. And he said, it's these non-legal guys who get it. We can't look at these things one page at a time. But these non-legal people are coming in and saying, why don't we take a document-oriented view? Well, isn't that, you mentioned Craig Ball, and I remember one of my favorite yeah. columns from last year. He did a, a column about how do you even define what a page is, because <laughs> if you took the same electric file and printed it out on six different printers, you'd probably get different pages, number of pages, depending on the font, so forth and so on. So, I mean, I think this makes a lot of sense. I do want to ask you a really dumb question. Uh, having put myself through law school with one of those big clunky metal <laughs> machines that literally did do the Bates numbering, yeah. I'm assuming that Bates is not named after Psycho's Norman Bates, but how did it, be <laughs> how did it come to be called Bates? Well, the Bates number uh, actually came, the name, uh, came from that machine. Um, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Edwin Bates who patented the original document numbering machine. His company, Bates Manufacturing, was actually, kind of an interesting aside, was actually bought by Edison, the Edison Corporation, which tells you how old it was. Uh, okay. But, but that, that is the uh, origin of the uh, phrase Bates numbering. Gotcha. 
So you, I'm sensing that what you're saying is that one of the problems in moving forward on this, even though it seems completely logical to me, partly because, number one, we have files that are, like we said, it's impossible to determine how many pages they are. But also much of e-discovery is not done on documents that are are even conceived as traditional documents. It might be an email file. It might be a voicemail file. It might even be something on that brand new iPod I just bought. Hopefully not my Scrabble scores. But, uh, <laughs> well, you're exactly right, Monica. That's the, the problem is that our definition of a document has changed. So we're no longer talking about a 250-page typewritten uh, and printed out paper document that can be easily numbered. You've got emails with documents embedded or attached to them, uh, and you've got other types of documents that don't print easily at all, uh, Excel spreadsheets being the most notorious. And then, of course, you have, uh, as you mentioned, audio files, which are a huge consideration these days, um, which are simply handled electronically. The vast majority of documents that we see nowadays are really never even printed out at all. Now, tell me about what happens to complicate matters further if you take a document-focused approach as opposed to a page-focused approach to metadata. And what's the ramifications of that? Well, the other, I think the other good thing about the document uh, view, the document-centered view, uh, and I'm struggling mightily to avoid using a word that I, that I know you hate here. <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> but... He's, he's referring to solution because I don't allow that in LTN <laughs> that, everywhere. That's right. I, I have your, your list of prohibited <laughs> phrases here next to my phone. <laughs> You're exactly right, though. Metadata. Again, in the electronic world, we have to deal with metadata fields, um, which capture information about the document, none of which would be available in a standard printed document. So we have to compensate uh, for those things as well. And really the overall problem is that in the old one-page-at-a-time world, um, the solution into the databases that were being used was to number and image everything. Um, and you can imagine what sort of a problem that leads to in terms of cost now uh, when you're talking about hundreds of millions of pages. To say if nothing avoid, of searching. Exactly. If we can avoid doing that, if we can deduplicate if we can reduce the, the, the document population to a manageable number uh, without having to use this rather outmoded process of numbering at the onset, then we can cut down the cost at the front end of the procedure and speed up the review process. For those attorneys who are still wed to that and, and to, the, to the old process, uh, as Browning has pointed out, we can still produce eventually for trial or deposition uh, the limited document sets that are necessary uh, for uh, those arenas and go ahead and kiff them and number them for identification purposes. But by then, as you know, we're down to one, two, three, maybe five percent of the original document population. And joining me today in this discussion, to remind you, is our very special guest, Tom O'Connor, director of the Legal Electronics Institute. Tom uh, is a nationally known consultant, speaker, writer, especially for LTN, whenever I can convince him to write for us, um, on the wide range of lit support. We've also been referring to Browning Marion, one of um, fellow board members who, in case you aren't familiar with him, we should tell you he's a partner at DLA Piper in San Diego. Tom, we're going to take a quick break now. Um, and when we come back, we'd like to talk about what's going on in New Orleans since I saw you 
you last uh, in New Orleans in 2006 and what you and I are both doing the on May 7th and 8th to help. So we'll take a break here and let our sponsor have the microphone. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. We're back, and my guest is Tom O'Connor, director of the Legal Electronic Documents Institute. Uh, Tom has been a longtime champion of helping the, our legal technology community in New Orleans uh, post-Katrina. Tom was co-author of the article that I wrote with photo editor Russ Curtis in 2006, which we were very proud won a significant award from the Tabbies. And in that article, we we tried to profile some of the issues that our community, our legal technology community, is facing in the wake of Katrina. And as New Orleans continues to recover, which is a very, very long, painful, and slow process. And in the article, we talked to some key folks there, including Janine Silvis, who uh, was with the IT director of Stone Pigman and was the winner of the 2006 IT Director of the Year Award. Tom, since I was down there with you for Mardi Gras week of 2006, what's going on? What do you see? And what does our community need to continue to recover from this devastating situation? Well, I think the, the first thing is to, to be aware that um, it is still an ongoing process uh, of development and rebuilding. Uh, I think the... Um, the nearest analogy I can use is to the great San Francisco earthquake and fire uh, at the turn of the last century. And um, where approximately the same amount of the city uh, was destroyed and uh, population was displaced, it took San Francisco 10 years to get back to where they were before that earthquake and fire. And uh, I suspect that we're on the same timeline down here. For our community, the legal community, that's aggravated, if you will, by the fact that um, well in excess of 60% of the attorneys uh, in the state of Louisiana live in the greater New Orleans area. Um, This is a fairly rural state that is dominated by one large city. Um, So what affected New Orleans uh, dramatically affected the legal community of the state, Um, and that rebuilding process has been uh, slow because the vast majority of those attorneys our sole practitioners are work in very small firms. Uh, even Stone Pigman, which you, which you mentioned, Janine's firm, which is a, a, a large firm by New Orleans standards, um, would be a, a medium-sized firm in a city like Chicago or, or New York or San Francisco. Um, so we've really, as I mentioned at the onset, been working in almost a grassroots level um, to get technology back into people's hands as the, the main tool they can use to build their practice up. Tom, tell tell our listeners a little bit about the two sessions in New Orleans and in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, that you and uh, Gail O'Connor and some other folks put together. And then if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what we will be doing in May. Sure. About five or six months after the storm, uh, in the springtime right after the storm, 
uh, we had a, a free two-day session, uh, basically a, a technology seminar or, or legal conference similar to, uh, to an ABA tech show or a, a Legal Tech New York, but nowhere near the scale. Um, but we were able to get a number of vendors and national speakers to come in and speak for free um, and help distribute software to people to help them get back on their feet. Uh, later in the fall of that year, we did a similar one for the Mississippi Bar uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. So this spring, um, on May 7th and 8th, as you, the Louisiana Bar is going to be doing its first solo and small firm conference. And it will also be uh, two days of speakers, uh, both national and a, and a extremely high number of local speakers, everyone from uh, people like Ernie Svensson, Ernie the, Ernie the attorney, the well-known blogger, um, to uh, some other local attorneys and a number of judges. And then we're also bringing in some speakers um, from the national circuit like uh, Rick Borstein from Adobe, Andy Adkins from the University of Florida uh, Legal Technology Institute, and uh, Ross Codner is also going to be joining us. So uh, we're really we're really looking forward to that. And I should say that uh, the word I had as of yesterday was that there are already uh, 150 or so uh, registered uh, attendees for that event. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, and Tom- I should mention quickly we're going to be doing uh, a similar one for the Mississippi Bar in, in November of this year. They, for some reason, seem to like to do things in the fall in Mississippi. So. Probably because it's not so hot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tom, tell tell our listeners a little bit about what the programs that you're going to be putting on, the panels you're speaking on, and I'll tell them a little bit about what I'm talking about, and hopefully we'll get them, if they're in the Gulf area, to come, and if they're not, to send checks so uh, uh, to help the efforts. And also, will you tell them a little bit about the efforts you're doing with your institute in New Orleans? Sure. Uh, well, the, specifically the sessions I'm on, uh, I'm doing one with... Uh, my partner in my efforts down here, Craig Bayer, uh, from uh, Law Office Technology over in Baton Rouge, and we're doing one that's basically low-cost tech essentials uh, for law firms, what they need to buy to get themselves up and running quickly with technology, and that's everything from hardware uh, to software training and support. And then I'll also be doing a 60 Tips for Louisiana Lawyers session oh, uh, with Andy Atkins and Ross Codner, which should be a lot of fun. That's guaranteed uh, to be fun. Yeah. Uh, our institute, our, our efforts down here, uh, I have a nonprofit uh, organization, the, the Gulf Coast Legal Technology Center, and we are basically doing a number of ongoing uh, seminars, both CLE and instructional, um, three, four, sometimes five and six a month. Uh, we're doing them all over the state, some in conjunction with the Louisiana Bar uh, and the Mississippi Bar. Some of them are webinars, some of them are uh, in person and um uh, hands-on training. So again, the idea is just in a very grassroots type of movement uh, to uh, instruct and uh, educate attorneys on what software is available uh, for them at a relatively low cost so that they can get back up to speed and working uh, in not only a, 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 an efficient environment now, but one that will be secure in case there are future uh, disasters similar to Katrina. Tom, is is there any one particular thing that you've noticed over the last six months that is a pain point for the Gulf area practitioners? Um, well, you know, we talked about infrastructure at the beginning, and I, I think that has been uh, a, a big one. Making sure that there is good wireless connectivity wherever you are so that you can use laptops, you can use PDAs, you can use that sort of uh, new technology 
in order to keep connected, regardless of where you are or what you're doing. Um, you know, in some of the larger cities around the country, we, we tend to take that for granted. And down here in rural areas in both Louisiana and Mississippi, that isn't always the case. So that's been difficult to, to make sure that the, the folks are, are up to speed with that. And I think probably second is case management technology. Um, you know, we had a feature on that in LTN, I think, back in uh, March. And, um, it, again, something that we kind of tend to take for granted in other parts of the country um, is, is something that's a bit innovative down here. And uh, folks uh, from companies like STI or uh, Amicus Attorney, uh, LexisNexis, of course, with their products, um, doing a, a, just a, a world of good for people um, to get control of all the aspects of their practice and be more efficient. And I will be presenting on uh, Friday uh, a panel on blogs. I'll be talking about how practitioners can establish them, what kinds of things have been successful. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, McClinchy. McClinchy Stafford. Thank you. They have yeah. uh, two very prominent blogs, one that I believe was up before Katrina hit on class actions, and then they took very good advantage of of immediately reacting to Katrina by setting up a hurricane blog, hurricane law blog. In fact, I think that's the address, www.hurricanelawblog.com. And uh, our mutual friend uh, Hunter Twifford has been very active in helping get those blogs up and running, I believe. Am I correct on that? Yes. We can't forget to say hello to Hunter, who's uh, uh, the managing partner of the Jackson, Mississippi office of, uh, of McGlinchey and a, and a great guy to boot. I always butcher the pronunciation of that name. Forgive me, Hunter. Uh, we just have a few more minutes, Tom. Um, so at this point, I would say, why don't you tell our listeners how they can help, even if they might be here in New York with me or in California or Australia? Well, I think there are still efforts going on through all your local bar associations, whether it's New York City, New York State, certainly the ABA and the Law Practice Management section. You know, it, it often sounds crass to say, but... Uh, in, a, in an economy that's been devastated, money is something that can always be used. Um, and certainly donations are still being accepted directly by both the Louisiana Bar, Bar Association on behalf of attorneys down here. And I don't want to forget the folks in the, uh, in the pro bono community. The Louisiana Bar Foundation and its director, Donna Cuneo, uh, do a great job uh, trying to assist Legal Aid, and uh, various other pro bono organizations down here who have seen their but their caseload uh, quadruple and sometimes go up as much as five or six times. Uh, and, of course, they are still uh, terribly understaffed. And, and last but not least, come down, volunteer. There's still a, an immense amount of work to be done down here. And whether it's volunteering at a legal aid office uh, or with a firm that needs some assistance, uh, on a case, uh, or simply coming down to spend some time, as many college kids still do, um, working on projects, tearing down houses, helping Brad Pitt down in the Make It Right 9 uh, uh, project in the Ninth Ward. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, and, and if nothing else, we can use your hands as well as your hearts. And I know Harry Connick Jr. has some efforts going on in Habitat for Humanity. Yes. And you know what? Even if you just go down and spend your money and stay in the hotels. It's a wonderful, wonderful city with amazing culture and music and 
you know, take your next vacation, even if you, you don't go down and, and just your sheer presence there can help. Absolutely. We depend an awful lot down here on just plain old tourism. Absolutely. And the French Quarter and the Garden District are back up in full swing. We'd love to have you come down and just have a bowl of gumbo. Absolutely. Well, Tom, it's been an amazing podcast. And uh, again, I want to repeat some of our our uh, housekeeping here. Um, we're just so thrilled to have Tom O'Connor. He's a director of the Legal Electronics Document Institute. And he and I will both be attending and speaking at the Louisiana Bar Solo and Small Firm Technology Conference. I want to remind you that you can find Law Technology Now in several places. It's on its own website, ALM's Law Technology Now website at www.lawtechnologynow.com. Our partners at the Legal Talk Network have it, and it's at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Of course, you can find it on iTunes and subscribe so it automatically syncs, which I just love since I am finally bought an iPod. Everybody's yelling at me, but I finally bought an iPod and I'm addicted. Okay. Well, that concludes our May edition of Law Technology Now. We want to thank Law.com. We want to thank our producers, Kate Kenny, Mike Hockman, and Keith O'Killy. It's been a wonderful session. We hope to see you in New Orleans, and we'll see you in June for the next edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Monica Bay. Have a great day. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.